seem to be trying to figure it out for us. I used to work as a coach, and the whole staff team had to take a very in-depth personality profile test. Um, when you did, you got a result as to which colour you were and lots and lots of other information. Before I did my test, my colleagues would say things like, oh, I bet you're a yellow, or that's a really blue thing that you're doing. Um, and I've always rebelled against being labelled, feeling like it gave me less freedom to be who I wanted to be if it was different to the colour or type I was being told that I was, the box that I felt I was being put into. But to be honest, that doesn't actually stop me joining in. Like when I meet someone and I find that we have a friend in common and then I spend ages trying to figure out who they know, how do they know them, where do they come from, I'm already presuming their identity and their story. And here in John 8, we see that the same desire is there for people to know their identity. The people were asking Jesus questions and trying to work out who his descendants were to figure out who he's connected to, questioning his lineage. And we see that Jesus thinks about identity too, but he thinks about it in different terms. So as we look at this passage, I wanted to focus on how it's not about who we are, but actually it's about who he is and who we are because of him. So let's look first at who Jesus was talking to. In verse 31, it says, the Jews who believed him. So he was there in a place talking to the Jews who believed him and the Pharisees who knew the word of God. These people were around Jesus because they believed him and they, and they knew that. And Jesus tells them that if they hold to his teaching and are really his disciples, they'll know the truth and it will set them free. So then they began to champion their spiritual pedigree. They can trace their lineage all the way back. They're the offspring of Abraham. In their eyes, they are already in. They've never been slaves to anyone. But Jesus hears what they're saying and he makes it clear that they are just like everyone else. He says, if you're a sinner, then you're a slave to sin. And the reality is that that is everyone. Jesus makes it really clear that if they're not drawing close to God, keeping his teaching, that where they come from and who they are actually means nothing. I've worked um, with lots of families in my previous job roles and been, lots of, been part of lots of conversations about doing faith with kids. And one of the phrases I've heard a lot is about how do we pass our faith on to our children? How are we passing on our faith? And personally, it doesn't work for me. When it comes to me being a parent, I want to help my kids develop their own unique two-way relationship with God. A relationship that's completely theirs. I don't want to pass on my faith to them. I want to share it with them. I want to show them what it looks like for me to have a relationship with God, but I don't expect their relationship to be the same. And uh, as I read this passage, I found myself thinking about that. The Jews' faith had been passed down the generations since Abraham, but they haven't yet been completely drawn in and changed by Jesus. They're leaning on their spiritual pedigree, what's been passed down to them, rather than fully grasping who Jesus is so that they can have their own relationship with God as Father. So we go on in this interaction and the situation gets even more tense. Jesus tells the people that if they really were children of Abraham, they would be taking this seriously. 
which you can imagine makes them even angrier because they do seem pretty serious. But he is questioning the very core of what they believe, of who they believe that they are. Put simply, next, he tells them that they think they're right, but they're not. And therefore, they're of the devil. And now they're really angry. They go after Jesus' lineage, saying, we're not illegitimate children, questioning where he's come from. And Jesus responds graciously, I'm here now because I love you, but you can't bear to hear it. And in the conversations we've seen in John already, and as we go on, we see this love in Jesus' conversations in, John, in the gospel over and over again. He's telling them this because he loves them and he's desperate for them to know Father God. But they refuse to believe and accept it. These Jews know the law, the word of God. They know their lineage and their history in great depth. Pete, can you come and help me? I was going to do this... Um, Example myself, but I couldn't figure out how to do it and still speak. <laughs> so he's going to. <laughs> yeah, I know it's heavy, isn't it? So the, these Jews and these Pharisees, they know their lineage. They've got their book. They know the word of God. It's like it's all... Can you put it over your face? Like completely broken it up. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, it's all in there, and they are unwilling to put it down. They're so wrapped up in it, they won't put it down to acknowledge that Jesus, whose coming was prophesied to them, is actually stood right in front of them. Are you right holding it for a bit longer? <laughs> yeah. And the next session in this section in this passage is challenging, because this is a group of people who, who, as we've said, they know the word of God. They think they've got it completely sorted. They think they're carrying around the answers. They're in. They carry their knowledge with great pride. You can put it down if you want to. <laughs> Thanks. But I just want to something visual to sort of see. It's like this, they've got this block of actually what they think they believe, and they're missing Jesus right in front of them. And Jesus challenges them and tells them again they haven't got it right. In fact, they couldn't actually be farther from God. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis that I thought puts it really well when he said, If devils exist, their first aim is to give you an anaesthetic, to put you off your guard. Only if that fails do you become aware of them. The devil doesn't go for black and white. He isn't obvious. He's subtle. He goes for nuances, like in the Garden of Eden when he said, did God really say that you shouldn't eat that? He edges us slowly away from the truth, making us numb to it like an anaesthetic. These Jews think they've got everything, but they're completely missing it. All they've ever known is the word... They knew the Messiah would come, but even when he stood there right in front of them, they don't believe it. They're in their routine of religion, numbed to the power of Jesus who stood right in front of them. They've got what's on their pages or their scrolls, but it's stuck in the book and it's stuck in their minds. It's like head knowledge, but it's not in their hearts or outside of the book around them. And I wondered as I was thinking about this, where might we have become numb to the power of the gospel? Do we ever completely miss Jesus just stood right in front of us like they did? As we move on in the passage, the conversation by now is getting pretty heated. Again, Jesus points back to his father and tells them if they believe they can experience eternal life. And they are furious. They think his claim is completely ridiculous. 
So does Jesus now calmly step away? No, he goes in for a final blow. He refers back to Abraham and the promise given to him. And he tells the people that before Abraham was, I am. And he could have said, I was, but he says, I am. He makes his divinity really clear, the fact that he's outside of time. How it says in John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And as we've seen, these are people educated in God's word. They know exactly what he's saying. They know that he's telling them that he is God, and they think he's blasphemous. It's too far for them. So they pick up stones to stone him, and he slips away. That is something I would love to see, by the way, how he manages to just slip away. (laughs) Um, The power of God. But these people were stood with Jesus, being invited into knowing the truth. He said to them, whoever obeys my word will never see death, in verse 51. He invites them into eternal life, but they choose not to accept his invitation. I wonder, what did it look like for you, if you have, when you accepted Jesus' invitation? I was remembering back to when I was 12, and I, I'd chosen, I'd gone to church up to that point, and I'd chosen to move to a different church from where my parents were. Um, and I probably didn't realize it at the time, but actually, I was making a choice not to rely on the faith that had been passed down, being part of a church where I think it had just become not necessarily real for me. I knew that I wanted to know God, and I really wanted to know him for me. And I can vividly remember uh, after a youth service where I chose to give my life to Christ, that I was trying to explain it to my parents, and I was sobbing so much, so overwhelmed by just the transformative power of God that I could hardly speak. And I know that I need to experience that more. I need to be standing right in front of Jesus constantly accepting that invitation to be transformed by him. In a world where we're constantly trying to figure out who we are and who we want to become, it's not about who we are, it's about who he is and who we are because of him. Who are you because of him? If we really choose to believe who Jesus says he is and who God is as Father, if we choose to know his word and to know him and to truly trust in the power of the Holy Spirit, then what difference will that make to our lives? And how will it change you and those around you as you believe that more and more each day?